Andrew Murray, in one of my favorite old books, With Christ in the School of Prayer, Murray said that my relationship with God is part of my relationship with men. Failure in one will cause a failure in the other. I read that book when I was in college, and I still have that old paperback book that I reread and reread, just tattered. But that phrase I have found to be not only true in my relationships with my friends, but my relationship with my marriage, my relationship with my children. All of that is determined by the kind of relationship I have with my family. When I think about that, and I think about the fact that Jesus says that he wants to be our friend. And we looked at Matthew, also known as Levi, in the first message in this series, of how that Jesus befriended a tax collector, called him out, and he followed Christ, and he left us the gospel of Matthew. Then last week, we looked at, kind of through my eyes of imagination, but I think contextually, you could build a case for that, how that the chief tax collector, I mean, the big cheese, the mafia boss, how he heard about Jesus and climbed a tree, and just because he wanted to meet Jesus, it stopped God right in his tracks. And that Jesus went home and spent the night with him. Spent the night with an unclean man in an unclean home, eating his unclean food on his unclean bed, ceremonially speaking. But when Jesus and Zacchaeus reemerged, Zacchaeus was clean. He died for a lost cause. Amen? And I think about, I go through and I go, what all does the Bible tell me that God is to me? He's my creator. He's my refuge. He's my strength. He's my father. He's my protector. He's my peace. He's my shelter. He's my healing. I start thinking about all of these things that God says He is to me. He is bread. He is life. He's my hiding place. He's my joy. He's my light. He's my salvation. That's what the name Jesus means, that Jesus has come to, to save us. And then Paul writes about how God even witnesses, by the Holy Spirit, God witnesses to us that we are His children and thereby we cry out, Abba, Father. And if you don't know what that phrase Abba means, it's a really Aramaic intimate phrase. Our equivalent would be Daddy, where we cry out, Daddy, Daddy. I mean, that's the kind of closeness and relationship God wants to have with us. That really stops me in my tracks. I don't understand how God like this would want to be my friend and want to love me. Pastor Corey read to you, come close to God and God will come close to you. What does that mean? What does it mean to come close to God? I know we do that in praise and worship, enter His gates with thanksgiving in our hearts. I know that we do that in prayer. But what does it mean to be close to God? I can tell you what it means to be close to Becky. I can tell you what it means to be close to my children. When I'm doing premarital counseling, I try to help couples imagine and see down the road. I, I want them to look beyond the honeymoon. 
Can we be real here for just a moment? I want to look because there's a lot more to marriage than the honeymoon. And everybody said, some of you are going, I sure hope so after my honeymoon. And some of you are going, really? I mean, what does marriage look like five years down the road? What does it look like for better, for worse? What does it look like in sickness and health? You know, we look down the road and we try to imagine that. What does it mean to draw close to God? I think there are two pictures in the Bible you can look at to understand that before we pray together this morning. And one is go back to the very beginning. You've heard me say this so many times. If you want to understand the Bible, if you want to understand the book of Revelation, especially, you've got to understand those first three chapters of Genesis. It's the reason before we did Revelation, I did a series on Daniel, and then I did a whole series on the book of Genesis, and we've seen over and over in our midweek services how those three books are so interconnected. But in the beginning, when God created Adam and Eve, they had communion together. The Bible says that God would walk with them. They would commune with God in the cool of the day. Remember in the first message, we talked about that there is relational responsibility. I have a responsibility in a relationship to communicate. But depending upon the kind of intimacy and the closeness I want in that communication depends on whether or not we have communion. And there's all the difference in the world in communion and communication. Texting is communication. Facebooking, I guess, is communication. You know, a phone call is communication. But you don't always have communion with those people. And communion is when you begin to share the deepest part of your heart. And so in the, in the beginning, there was no religion. It's going to sound like I'm going to sing an old John Lennon song. There was no religion. There was no ritual. There was no rules. Boy, don't we like our rules? There was none of that. There were no sacrifices. It was just simply that God and Adam and Eve had communion together. There was only one rule, and that was don't eat of this tree because this tree is bad for you. But when they chose to eat of that tree and sinned, then suddenly that changed the whole relationship. And so when I think about this, draw near to God or come close to God and God will come close to you, I've got to think about it, not in the terms that is so sappy and so much of everyday conversation about God and Jesus today. I've got to think of it in the terms of the whole Bible. In the Old Testament, the relationship of most people with God was one of guilt and fear. You had to make sacrifices. You had to prepare. Sometimes the children of Israel would be told to prepare themselves. Get rid of these things that you've made idols out of. Cleanse yourselves. Only the high priest could go into the presence of God and he could only go one time of year into that place called the Holy of Holies. And, and they always tied a rope around his ankle because in case he went in unworthy and, and because of his sin, he died in the presence of God. They were too afraid, and rightfully so. They pulled that old boy out of the Holy of Holies. But when Jesus, when Jesus, and this is the second picture I want you to look at, come close to God and he'll come close to you. 
when Jesus came, we saw Jesus, he's touching people like Matthew, Levi, he's touching Zacchaeus, he's touching a woman that they wanted to stone because of her immorality. Nobody ever went and got the man, but they sure got the woman. She would have had a Me Too moment right there. They, they wouldn't touch the lepers, and Jesus would embrace the lepers. They were too busy for children, and Jesus would take, and he gathered the children to himself. I've often wondered, and I said, Jesus, it would have been so cool if you wrote one little more book telling us what happened to all those little children you touched and blessed. Isn't that neat? Think about that. So I imagine what it must have been like for those children by Jesus. That's the reason I love dedicating babies at our church and blessing them in the name of Christ. Anyway, Jesus touched these people and he showed us what God really wanted. He wanted communion with us. He wanted communion with Zacchaeus. He wanted communion with Peter. You probably wouldn't have chosen Peter to be on your leadership team. You probably wouldn't have chosen maybe Philip to be on your leadership team. But Jesus did. And then Jesus took all of our sins to the cross, shed his blood for us. And in shedding his blood, he atoned or he paid. He restored, potentially, if you put your faith in him, our relationship with God so that we could have communion with God. Relational responsibility. Jesus did what no one else could do. He not only communicated the good news, but he became the bridge. He became the bridge so that we could have communion with God and with one another. Can we give him a hand of praise for that this morning? We could have communion with God and one another. That's why Pastor Corey read this to you. We were God's enemies, but he made us his friends through the death of his son. I mean, he, he tore that veil right from the top to the bottom. And if you're not familiar with that, in the Old Testament, that veil was probably about three foot thick. It was what separated the Holy of Holies where only the high priest could go before God to atone for the sins of the people with the sacrifice. He tore that in two so that you and I could have access to God. So now, say that word with me, now, not tomorrow, but now, we are God's friends. How much more will we be saved by Christ's life? But that is not all. We rejoice because of what God has done to our Lord Jesus Christ, who has now made us God's friends. What are we? God's friends. What are we? God's friends. I'm used to thinking about in terms of being a servant or a slave or the creation. But I'm his son and I'm his friend. That doesn't mean I'm equal to God. I mean, a lot of times, you know, we want to always talk about the equality of human beings. Because I'm the friend of God doesn't mean I'm equal to God. I'm his son and I'm his friend today. Would you stand with me? I want to pray with you before we get into this message this morning. Jesus, on this cold six degrees day, 
These people have come to church because they love you. I don't believe there are any hypocrites here this morning, Lord. They're here because they love you. And I ask you in the next few minutes, would you just speak to our hearts? Holy Spirit, would you set the word on fire in our hearts? Cause it to burn and to blaze within us. And Lord, help us not only to rejoice that you have called us friends, but help us to be a friend of God as we sing so often here today. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said, Amen and Amen. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. I am so happy to see you. I'm glad that you showed up this morning. It's actually three degrees warmer than it was the first service this morning. I'd like for you to be praying for Jeanette Baker. Charlie died on uh, this last week. We had his funeral Friday night. And if you can, just write a card if you'll call the church. Um, if you're going to write a card, we can get you Jeanette's address. But just write a card of condolence. Also, keep Fred Schaff in your prayers. Fred needs your prayers. And if you could send a card to, to Fred and pray that the chemo treatment is going to be successful there. I have a good friend, and this is how I'd like to start the message this morning. I have a good friend that died this week. Mike is, um, Mike is a friend of God and was a friend of God. Mike is um, one of my heroes. He um, was turned down initially by the missions department to become a foreign missionary for the Assemblies of God. Because he wasn't smart enough, he didn't possess enough leadership talents. Mike came from a, a very, uh, let's just say, a family that wasn't as healthy as your families are. And I remember the first time when Mike and I met when we were much younger and uh, life was very different. And, but there was a quality about Mike that I just loved. Mike was passionate about Jesus, and he didn't care who knew he was passionate about Jesus. He loved Jesus, and he loved lost people, and he loved talking to people about Jesus, and there was just a winsomeness about him. Mike knew that God had called him, and so he wanted to go to Latin America as a missionary, so he taught himself Spanish, and Mike went to Latin America. And then we decided he was smart enough, and he was good enough, and he could go as a missionary. And then God laid China upon his heart. And this man whose GPA wasn't very good and whose, whose abilities were not probably equal to a lot of you in here uh, when it comes to intellect, taught himself Chinese. And we sent him to China. Mike has built churches and hospitals and schools around the world for Jesus Christ. And this week, at a very young 62 years of age, Mike suffered fatal injuries and passed away, and his family is just in deep grief, as of a lot of us are. This morning, early this morning, early this morning, I got a call from someone in deep grief and sharing their pain. And I've been able to share with this family, Jeanette's family, share with Fred prior to his surgery, share with the person who called me this morning, Sometimes it's in our pain when we discover who our true friends really are. A lot of times in our successes, 
you know, there's a lot of people that want to hang out with us in our successes. There's a lot of people that want to hang out with us in our prosperity. But in our pain, we discover who our real and true friends really are. Job found that out, didn't he? Suddenly when Job, who was probably the most prosperous man in his community and the man who enjoyed the most success, when Job went through that painful ordeal that lasted for a year in his life, Job lost everything. His children, his wife finally just got discouraged and disgusted and said, curse God and die. She even abandoned Job. And, and Job was left with three friends who condemned him and criticized him rather than affirmed him and prayed for him. And he found himself with really only one friend, and that friend was God. And you may have found yourself in that place at times when God's been your only friend. We sing a song here at Woodland sometimes, and it just has a phrase that goes, He is jealous for me. You know that song, Love's Like a Hurricane. And I thought about that phrase, and I thought about that scripture from Exodus chapter 34 and verse 14, where God says, He's a jealous God. And in our, in our vernacular today, when we say the word jealous, we usually think negativity. We think about negativity. We think of negative things. But when you think of jealousy, there is a positive side to the jealousy of God. I'm a jealous husband. Now, when I tell you I'm a jealous husband, that doesn't mean that I mistrust Becky. It doesn't mean that I'm suspicious of anyone that she hangs out with. It means that I want her love first and foremost in my life as her husband. I don't want anything coming between her and I. I'm jealous for her. I love her. I'm, I'm jealous for this congregation. I love this congregation. And, and I'm jealous that we know God and have the touch of God upon our lives and that you know what friendship with God looks like and what friendship with God is and that in no way we allow anything to come between us and God. I'm not suspicious of this congregation or anyone in this congregation. I'm not suspicious of my children, but I'm jealous for my children. I want my children and my grandchildren to know the Lord. And so if something comes up that I think is not biblical or I think is not correct, I don't lecture, but I try to guide and I try to lead still in their lives. I'm in what I have described to you before is that chain of counsel in my adult children's life. I can no longer tell them what to do like I used to be able to, but now there's that chain of counsel, and I'm grateful that nearly every single day of my life that my kids call me, or they talk to me, or they ask advice. It's, it's nice to be in that chain of counsel. I wish I could tell you they always took my advice. But sometimes they think they know better, and in some areas, I have to say to them, I don't know. I can't give you advice. I've never experienced that. But find someone that knows and get counsel, but I'm jealous for them. When God says, I don't want your sacrifices in Hosea 6.6, 6, I don't want your sacrifices, I want your love. I don't want your offerings, I want you to know me. I think that's a good definition of what the jealousy of God is like. Those two words, I want you to know me and I want you to love me. I want to know Becky and I want to love her. Adam and Eve, they knew one another, the Bible says. There was this intimacy in their relationship. They knew God. They had this communion with God. And so as I stand here before you this morning, 
And we talk about being a friend of God. God is saying to you through the scriptures this morning, I don't want your sacrifices. I want you to love me. I want you to know me. God is saying, I want you to be my friend as well. And so here's what I'd like you to see that I see from the scripture this morning about how we can friend God. We've talked about God friending us, but how can you and I friend God? Number one, step up and accept the offer of God's friendship. You're never going to be a friend of God in your spare time. You're never going to be a friend of God if he's just one in a list of your hobbies. You're never going to be a friend of God if you don't make time for God. Jesus said, Listen, Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all of these other things will be added to you. What's he saying? He says, put me first in your life. Put our relationship first. And when I put my relationship with Christ first, my marriage doesn't suffer. My children don't suffer. My relationship with you as a church doesn't suffer. My friendships in the community or my relationships in the community don't suffer. You think, well, you've got a, I've got a busy schedule pastor. I've got these obligations. I've got this and that. Listen to me. Hear what I want to say to you right now. It doesn't matter at the end of the day what you've accomplished if you haven't loved God with all your heart. And it doesn't matter at the end of your life what you've achieved or what you've accomplished if you haven't loved God with all of your heart. When I preached Charlie's funeral on, on Friday night and I listened to Lowell stand up and share how Charlie came to know Jesus Christ in their small group meeting and how one night as they were meeting together, I gave God thanks again. I knew the story, but just gave God thanks one more time for the way that Lowell shared the love of Jesus and the way that Lowell reached out and love and, and how that Charlie and Jeanette came to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And then to be able to share that night with their family what this legacy meant. Friends, at the end of it all, your family doesn't suffer, your career doesn't suffer, your relationships don't suffer by putting God first. They all prosper. I love my wife better because of my relationship with Jesus. I love my children better because of my friendship with God. I'm a better pastor because of a friendship with God. I'm a better part of our community because of a friendship with God. You see, when you give your heart and your love to God, there's something about your relationship with God. He is a multiplier of all that you give him. If you give him bread and fishes, he's going to multiply it to feed the thousands. If you give him your heart, God is going to help you to love the things that he loves, and your life and your love will reach a lost world. Can we give him a hand of praise for that? It's the reason the apostle Paul would write everything else. Everything else is worthless. You're Jackson Pollocks if you've got one. I don't know why you would, but your cars, your education, your career, everything else is worthless compared with the priceless gain of knowing Jesus Christ. I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I may know Christ. What's he saying? He says, all of those works, all of those things that I did to try to make myself righteous, to try to be acceptable in God, I've cast it all aside, and I'm trusting Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. I'm trusting what Jesus did at Calvary. He was the bridge. Everything else I could do to justify myself is worthless. God spoke to the prophet Jeremiah to say to the children of Israel, you will find me 
when you seek me with all your heart. Would you read that with me? You will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Now, can I ask you a question? Are you doing that? Are you seeking God? Are you going hard after God? Are you seeking God with all of your heart? Have you set your affections to say, I want to know the Lord? You're never going to be a friend of God unless you give your heart to God. You see, if I can illustrate it with marriage again, you're never going to have a successful marriage until you decide, I'm going to give my heart to this woman or this man. You're never going to have a successful relationship with a church until you decide, I'm going to give my heart to doing life with this church rather than trying to play with the Falcons this week and trying to play with the Rams the next week and trying to play with the Tigers the next week. You see, in relationships, there has to be this committing. And God says, when you seek me with all your heart, you'll find me. I'm there. You draw close to me, as Pastor Corey read to you this morning. You come close to me, and I will come close to you. Write this down in your outline this morning. Just take a pen. If you don't have one, write it down. I'm as close to God as I want to be this morning. I'm as close to God as I want to be this morning. And you say, Pastor, I'm not. If there's a desire in you to be close to God and you want to draw near to God, then can I not only suggest but say to you, the Bible says you've got to make time to build your friendship with God. You've got to make time to build your friendship with God. In Jeremiah chapter 9 and verse 23, I read this to you in the very first message in the series, let not the wise man boast of his wisdom or the strong man boast of his strength or the rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts, boast about this, that he understands and, say it a little louder please, that he understands, how can I understand God with my puny little mind? We'll get to that that he understands and knows me. That's what we boast about, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. Let not anybody boast about anything except they know the Lord. And friends, you know as well as I know, people love to boast. Even we love to boast. We, if you'll come up this morning or see me after church, I'll show you pictures of my grandchildren. Somebody yesterday asked me a question, and uh, they says, you know, do you like art? And I go, well, I've learned to like it since I've married Becky, and she's taking me to museums and stuff. And they said, well, what's your favorite piece? I said, I carry it right here on my phone, and I tapped my phone, and I held up Becky's picture, and they all got a good laugh out of that, but she's my favorite work of art. I look at her and go, ooh la la, you know, that's not very spiritual, but that's what I think. I look at her, and I'm so thankful for my wife. You see, what I'm trying to tell you is when we're proud of something, we boast about. We boast about our children. We boast about their accomplishments. Some of you have got on the back of your car, if you've run a 10K or you've run a, a marathon, you've got it on the back of your car. Some of you, you know, you wear certain kinds of clothes because you're proud of that brand of clothes and you want to boast about it. I have traveled around this world and I have heard people boast about everything you can imagine. But probably one of the most touching times was in Bangladesh. 
and this humid, swampy land where the water was greener than this carpet that people drank and washed and bathed in, where all sticks in the sunshine was, was cow manure that was pressed together like this and was drying to, to be the fuel that they used to cook with. I sat inside of one of those little grass huts with a family, and I listened to the man boast about his relationship with Christ, how God had changed his life, how God had delivered his family from the idolatry of the religion they were in, how God had prospered them and how God had blessed them. I sat there with tears and smiles upon my face, realizing that if you and I looked at this man, we would feel compassion, we would feel sympathy because of the unsanitary conditions, because of the poverty of his life, but he was rich in faith, he was rich in the love of his family because Jesus Christ had become his very best friend. And what he boasted about was not his hut, what he boasted about was not his food, he boasted about Jesus Christ. Hallelujah! And there are going to be a lot of rich people who die and walk through the gates of death that are not going to be able to boast about the one thing you need to be able to boast about for all of eternity. I knew Jesus Christ. He was my very best friends. That's the legacy that you want to leave to your children, your grandchildren. And by faith, I'm going to live to see my great-grandchildren if Jesus tarries that long. That's the legacy that you want to leave. Not one that says, Papa didn't care anything about God. Papa didn't love God. Papa knew what really mattered in this life. It was hard work. It was, it was earning money. It was laying aside for your family. Papa knew what really mattered. I want them to know that Jesus Christ mattered more than anything else in this world. You see, friendship, friendship with God is unlike any other friendship in this world. Be still, Psalms 46 and verse 10 says, be still and know that I am God. Do any of you have any hyperactive friends? Do any of you have friends that when you're trying to have lunch with them, they're pulling out their phone constantly and some of you are shaking your heads, yes. Some of you are going, oh me, he's stepping on my toes right now. You see, friendship with God, you've just got to be still. Because if you don't make time, you will never have a friendship with God. If you don't really make quality time for your human friends, they're not going to be your friends. I mean, nobody wants to have lunch with you again if you're constantly texting or saying, let me take this call. When I have lunch with people, I turn my phone over so it doesn't beep. I've got a special thing reserved if my family calls because it's an emergency or if Norma calls because it's an emergency, but typically they know where I'm at and what I'm doing. You make time for your friends. And with God, you make time for Him. And, and I think the cool thing, I want you to look at this first because this was just like, bam. I mean, do you remember that guy that used to cook and he'd add the spice to it and go, bam. Remember, the, what was his name? I knew you knew who I was talking about. This was one of those, bam! You jumped. This is one of those bam moments. Now be sure you say that correctly if you go out of here and quote me on that. Friendship with the Lord is reserved for those who reverence Him, and with them, He shares the secrets of His covenant. 
Would you read that out loud with me? Friendship with the Lord is reserved. Say that word again. Reserved for those who reverence Him. With them, He shares the secrets of His covenant. Now, I like reservations. When I buy concert tickets, if Becky wants to go to the DSO or something like that, I get reserved seats. I know where I want to sit if they're available. Typically, if they're not available, we won't even go because there's a certain place that we like to sit, and, and we'll get those tickets. And if we ever go there and somebody happens to be sitting in our seat, I'll go, pardon me, but these are reserved for us. And We'll pull out, and people, apply, oh, I'm in the wrong seat, and all of that. I'm so sorry. And we get down, and we sit in our seat. I like when I travel. I am not a free spirit like some of you. My hotel rooms are booked in advance. I know where I'm going to stay, and I know the plan I'm going to get there. And some of you are going, that is just so boring. But I like reservations, and I, I like to know. I, I want to know where I'm going to sit on an airplane. I don't buy tickets that are open seating, because I have sat next to some people that I don't don't ever want to get called in that situation again. So I buy my seats. I don't like sharing my seat with somebody else. And so I, I reserve things. And I read this, and friendship with the Lord is reserved for those who reverence Him. That word means that we adore Him. We put Him first. There is this sense that we fear Him. Remember what I said? Because I'm a friend of God, it doesn't make me equal with God. I recognize who God is. He is not my buddy. He is not someone I just walk up and punch on the shoulder. He is God Almighty. But He is my friend. And when the President of the United States is elected, whether you like Him or not, you no longer, when you go into His presence, call Him Donald or George or Barack, you walk in and you say, Mr. President, and you just don't presume to lay your hands upon the president because that's the president. He represents not just Barack or George or Donald. He represents the people and the interest of the United States. That's why we give him the reverence that we give them, whether they deserve it or not, because of the office they occupy, they represent us. It may not be the way we want them to represent us, but they represent us, and that's why we have this special plane. That's why we have all this ceremony around it. It's why this morning I say to you that God is my friend. I reverence Him, but He is always worthy of all the praise. He is always worthy of all the glory. He is always worthy of all the honor, and all of His decisions are just, and they are true, and they are faithful, and they are loving, and they are kind, and I've never been ashamed or had to apologize for one thing that the Lord God Almighty has done. Hallelujah. And I got to tell you this this morning. It's awfully nice when you can say that God is my friend. Mm. That changes everything. God is my friend. You see, he then shows us the secrets of his covenant. He shows us what these promises, what these commandments. He shows us what the warnings. He shows us how to apply them into our lives so that we can live a life of faith. And I just want to be real honest with you. You can never do that just by coming to church. I love it when people come to see me or I get together with folks and I ask about their devotional life. <laughs> 
I say, what did you read today? Chapter and verse. What are you praying about right now? And they can just, you can tell, they don't have to think about it. They just start talking about that friendship with God. If you asked me this week about what my friend Asif and I talked about this week, I could tell you. If you'd asked me what my friend Carlene and I talked about this week, I could tell you. If you'd asked me what my friend Gary and I talked about this week, I could tell you. If you'd asked me what my friend Andy and I talked about this week, I could tell you. If you'd asked me what my friend Ed and I talked about this week, I could tell you. I could tell you because we're friends. We have communion. We're, we're, we're walking with another. If you would ask me what Ed invited me to this week, I could tell you why and what and why I'm going. If you would ask me these things, because there is this communion. We don't stumble. Friends, God doesn't want us stumbling. He invites us into the most intimate friendship where you don't just have to say it. You don't just have to sing it on a Sunday, but you can know it Monday when you go to work. You can know it Tuesday. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, God is my best friend. Can we give him one more hand of praise for that this morning? My best friend. So I just would say choose him. Choose him this day. Choose God for your very best friend. One time Joshua stood up and he, he had to tell all the people of God, and I feel like a Joshua this morning before you. He just had to remind them, choose you this day whom you're going to serve. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. You see, best friends value what one another values. That's what best friends do. They sit around, they talk about football scores, baseball scores. They talk about hunting and fishing trips. They talk about shopping trips. Some even talk about coupons. Did you know that? They just enjoy getting together and swapping coupons. Some talk about recipes. Some get together, and believe it or not, there are people who just love to talk about the latest stock quotes, and they'll share back and forth. You see, when you're a friend of God, you love to talk about the things God loves to talk about. And one of the things that God loves to talk about is not only His love for you, but His love for lost people. Jesus, friend of sinners. And I don't want to be the person that's caught up in ritual and rules and religion that makes people stumble, as Steve's saying this morning, getting to know Jesus. That's why Jesus saved his harshest words for people like me, not you. His harshest words for people like me, you scribes and you Pharisees, you hypocrites, you make it twice as hard, you make them sons of hell, and you yourselves are sons of hell. You don't understand you're putting a millstone around about their necks. Friends, I'm here to tell you this morning, God loves you just like you are. Matthew 6, look at this with me. When you come to God, don't turn it into a theatrical production. What's he saying? Don't go, oh, thou great and holy God. You inhabit this holy place. I think God... You said, that I know is not true. You don't know that. He says, if you're lukewarm, he's... You make him sick. Think about it. Look what you, I wish you were either hot or cold. I wish you were on fire or as cold as ice, but don't be, 
theatrical with me. If the only time I showed Becky love when I was preaching on marriage, I'd be in a heck of a lot of trouble. And I shouldn't have said the word heck. I'm sorry. <laughs> you see, God says, don't turn it here. He says, just find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God. You won't be tempted? Is he saying that something about us being together, that there's something about we're trying to impress each other with how spiritual we are rather than just talk to God. See, best friends don't try to impress each other. Best friends will call each other out on that kind of stuff. Best friends will call you out if you're not being real. Best friends, if, if suddenly all you, you know, you're always talking about fishing and hunting and then you get around somebody that doesn't like fishing and hunting and suddenly you're like, save all the animals, you know, we, we need to protect all the little deers and bambies out there. They're going to call you out. Hey, fathead, you and me, we killed that deer. We butchered and ate him. That's what best friends do. So there's something that we're not careful. We'll role play to impress each other rather than impressing God. He said, just be there as simply and as honestly as you can. That bothers me, God. God is telling me it's difficult for me to be simple and honest. As simply and as honest. There's something about us. We just tend to try to make it more complicated. Loving Jesus isn't complicated. Sing this with me. I know you know it. Jesus loves me, this I know. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me, the Bible tells me so. Now, people all over the world are going to hear you sing this morning. And they're going to go, how simple that was. How sweet that was. Because God says, then the focus shifts from you to God, and you'll begin to sense His grace. And then... I further, as I go through this, just looking at what it means to be a friend of God, it means sometimes I've got to let go of toxic friendships. And I, I need to talk about this for just a little bit. You see, I did a whole study of what I call toxic friendships from the Bible. I have these, I've told you about my lumber file, and I have this file called toxic friendships. And what I found in the New Testament was the toxic friendships were Christians that were lukewarm or Christians that were tolerating sin in their life that was causing other people in the church to commit sin or causing other people to compromise their faith. I'm going to just say something here, and I mean it in all kindness and love. Friends, we don't need to worry as much about the world. People sometimes go, aren't we supposed to be separate from the world? Aren't we supposed to come out from the world? Aren't we supposed to hate the things of this world? We don't need to be as much worried about the world outside the church as we are the world inside the church. And so these toxic friendships of people that teach us to compromise the word or to compromise the doctrines, God says, I want you to love people but hate the value systems of the world. 
God says, I want you to love lost people. I mean, how do you take this verse, James chapter 4 and verse 4, to be up on the screen? You should know that loving the world is the same as hating God. Anyone who wants to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. How do you take that verse and lay it alongside John chapter 3 and verse 16 where the Bible says that God so loved the world. Look at God so, he put that word so in there so you get it. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. You wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. But God did it because he loved the world that whosoever would believe upon Jesus would not perish but have everlasting life. How do you lay that against this verse? Because in John 3, 16, God is talking about lost people. In James chapter 4, in verse 4, he's talking about the value systems of this world. God says, love the people, hate the values. And sometimes, if we're not careful as passionate followers of Christ, we will love success the way the world loves success. We'll love popularity. We'll be just as materialistic. We'll be just as immoral as the rest of the world because we love the world, but we don't want to be around those kinds of people. Nobody gave my friend Mike Baldry a second chance because he didn't come from the right family. He didn't come from the right place. And from the outside, it was all apparent. Mike wasn't qualified. But when you become a friend of Jesus Christ and you can't get a Spanish teacher and you can't get a Chinese teacher, when you become a friend of God, God will send you around the world and he will make you a powerhouse for him. And your 62 years will have mattered upon this life. Somebody praise him this morning. And if Mike was known for anything, it was not for loving pleasure or popularity or prestige. It was for his obedience to Christ and it was for loving lost people. You are my friends if you obey me. You are my friends if you obey me. Can I tell you something? God doesn't care a thing in the world about my prestige. God didn't care a thing in the world about your prestige. Somebody called me years ago and says, I'd like to help you with your image management. I said, my what? My image management. I said, I'm not fat. I weighed 155 pounds at the time. He says, no, no, we're talking about your public image and your persona. And, and they went through all these things and why they were calling me. And I just said, I, I don't think I'm interested. But that has never left me over the years. There are people that, Get paid just to make us look better. God doesn't care about you looking better. God cares about the character of your heart. God cares about the holiness of your life, the love, the peace, the joy, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the self-control. Without these things, no man is going to see the Lord. Can you say amen? Well, the last two I'll be very quick with. Honey, if you'll come on up to the piano. And by the way, I see we have guests. This is Becky that I keep talking about. Give her a hand, yeah. Continue the conversation. Continue the conversation. Momentum matters. I, um, I was talking with one of my Muslim friends. We were talking about prayer. And, and I love him. I really do. But, you know, he told me, he says, Muslims pray five times a day. I said, Wow. He says, what do Christians do? I said, we pray all the time. Because the Bible says, pray always. Pray continuously. 
I said, I talk to Jesus all during the day. I share with him. If I think a sunshine is pretty, the sunshine is pretty. I went out last night. And this will shock you. If you believe in miracles, this is a miracle. After prayer last night, God blessed those hearty souls that came out for prayer last night. I went home and it was just so pretty and I had to go outside for a little while. A little while. Just looking up in the sky. And if I turn my back on the goop in the street, it's really pretty. <laughs> and I went, God, this is beautiful. When you said, let everything praise you. And there was just enough moonlight at that time to cause the snow at our house to sparkle. I said, God, this is beautiful. I came in and Becky had some hot soup on the stove and I sat down and I was eating that soup and I thought, Lord, this, I, I mean, I blessed it, but then just eating it, that's not insanity. You just tell him about what you're enjoying or what you're not enjoying. You talk to him. I forget the name of the comedian. She said, people praise us if we talk to Jesus. But then they think we're crazy if he talks back to us. I've never heard the audible voice of God, but so many times, like last night eating that bowl of soup, the Bible says that God richly blesses us with everything we need to enjoy in life. So I got up and had a second bowl because that was richly being blessed. You see, in friendship, Momentum matters. And texting and Facebooking is not momentum. I, I wonder... I need something between you and me when I say this. I wonder what life would be like if we prayed as much as we texted and Facebooked and Twittered. <laughs> I wonder what life would be like if we were as attuned to God's Holy Spirit as we are to our phones. Beeping, buzzing, tweeting, messaging. So Pastor, how do you know? Because I eat lunch with so many people and they're constantly grabbing that phone. You can't have a good conversation. If we were as attuned to the Holy Spirit as we are to the beeps, the chimes, the buzzes on our wrists, in our ears, And the reason you are is because you've built a momentum of that in your life. There's a momentum. You respond. Some of you have different responses. Some of you, when Becky calls me, my phone goes, when a man loves a woman, can't keep his mind on anything. I go, I'm sorry. I got to take this call. I'm in tune. It's true. Yeah, it's a good song. Y'all ready for sermon number two right now? <laughs> you see, momentum, the more you talk to Jesus, the more you'll want to talk to Jesus. And the more you talk to Jesus, the more you'll hear His Word and His Spirit in your heart. My determined purpose is that I may know Him, that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted. 
that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with Him. Perceiving, recognizing, understanding. Perceiving what God wants. Perceiving what God is saying. Recognizing God's moving. Understanding what God's doing. Remember, He reveals the secrets to those who reverence Him. The wonders of His person more strongly and more clearly. And then finally this morning, take your hurts to God. Because your friendship with Christ will deepen in your pain. There are certain people in this congregation, I will never forget that three years that I struggled with my health when I came back from Bangladesh. You were there praying. You were there encouraging. Some of you were there and you never said a word and you laid your hands upon my head and I can still feel the warmth of your hand and I can feel your prayers. You see, trust deepens in pain. There were other people who called and wanted me to fire somebody. There were other people that called and bought me resumes. There were other people that called and asked if I would fill out a reference. And there was times when I couldn't even focus well. There was one missionary to India came with his children and stood at the foot of my bed and told Becky, says, we won't talk to him, but my children wanted to come sing for Pastor Dennis. And those three babies stood at the foot of my bed and they sang, I am the Lord that healeth thee. I am the Lord, thy Savior. But I got to tell you something. Friendships deepen in pain. What happens in pain is you learn to trust. And when God allows you to go through a painful time, it's not because God has abandoned you. It's because God will lead you into a place of deeper trust as you talk to Him. Cast all your cares on the Lord. Dump it. Toss it. Get rid of it. Forget it. But cast all your cares upon the Lord and He will, say it with me, sustain you. And He will never let the righteous fall. You're never going to grow. You're never going to grow until you trust God with your pain. Now some of you, maybe you're here today or maybe you're listening online and you gave up in your pain on serving Christ. I have those conversations frequently with people. God would have never allowed you to go through this, you say, and you didn't trust God in your pain and you quit serving the Lord. Your child forsook you. Your wife forsook you. You were like Job. Things went wrong. You lost in your pain, you thought God forgot you. God never forgot you. But instead of dumping or casting your bitterness, your pain, your hurt upon the Lord, you've carried that and it's eating you alive. But God says to you, if you return to me, put that up on the screen. If you return to me, I will restore you so you can continue to serve me if you speak, 
the words that are worthy, you will be my spokesman. And you are to influence them. Do not let them influence you. I left the word let when I typed that out. Do not. God wants to make you the influence maker. And when God's your best friend, your influence will dramatically increase. Amen? Stand with me this morning. Hallelujah. If you're not a follower of Jesus or if you've wandered away from your faith in Christ, I want to just talk to you first for a moment. Would you recommit your life to Jesus Christ right now or maybe for the very first time, trust Him? And I'm always amazed about the people who listen online and then come tell me or write me. Maybe you've stumbled across this in your search for friendship. And I don't always do this. You need to know that. But I'm talking to you as well. The Holy Spirit is saying, if you'll return to me, I'll restore you. I'll sustain you. I'll heal you. And I'll make you an influencer. Why don't you pray this right now? Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for being a friend of mine. I confess that I'm not equal to you. I confess that I couldn't pay for my sins. But you did that for me at Calvary. And I trust you for the forgiveness of my sins and to make me a brand new creation in Christ. I'm returning, Lord. Or in your case, maybe I'm coming for the very first time. And as much as I know how, I commit my life to your Lordship today. In Jesus' name. Now I'd like to talk to the rest of you here this morning. Is there something you need to just cast upon the Lord? You're frightened, you're afraid, you're fearful. Maybe you're bitter. Maybe your faith wasn't as strong as my friend's Mike's was. And you've let your background or other things limit you. I'm telling you, with God, all things are possible. With God, the word impossibility does not exist. Would you cast your cares upon the Lord? He'll sustain you. Hallelujah. I think somebody's doing that right now. Hallelujah. And how can we all commit to being a friend of God? He offers it to us. I want to be God's best friend. I mean that. I want to be His best friend. I want to be able to say, God is my very best friend.